I invite you to take your Bible this morning, and first, if you would turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, and then we'll go to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, as uh, this morning we have lessons in faith. Uh, we're going to be looking uh, briefly at uh, Noah and then Abraham and the, uh, the lessons that they have for us as we walk the same road that they walk, this life of, of faith. Uh, Genesis chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 9, and we'll read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll go to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Genesis 6, let's give our attention to God's word this morning. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, a 300 cubits, and its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to the cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's just begin at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 16. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. 
Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we believe that these words are inspired by your Holy Spirit, and the same spirit that moved the author to write them is present with us today to open our hearts and minds so that we can understand and believe these things as they reveal to us the truth about God and about this world and about the world to come. So, Father, teach us how to, how to believe in a way that pleases you today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Some of you know yesterday um, something strange happened to me. Uh, I turned 55 yesterday, and I uh, found it to be a somewhat disconcerting experience to realize that I'm now eligible for the discounts for coffee at McDonald's. Um, somewhat cheered by the fact I do get a 25% discount at Uno's Pizzeria, so uh, that's Wednesday nights, so we'll, we'll see you there. The, uh, the fact is that I'm not yet a senior citizen. That's confirmed. I looked online, and you have to be 65 to be a senior citizen, but uh, I can see 65 from here. 55 feels like coming over the crest of the hill, and, um, and the, the decade ahead just looks different. The, uh, the decades in the past uh, looks pretty much the same. Uh, as you look forward when you're 30 and when you're 40, uh, it looks like raising the kids and working hard and, and just moving on with the, the things that are on your plate. This, this next decade feels a little differently. It feels like thinking about... Um, Getting old, thinking about retirement, that's a strange word. Uh, and, and I've never done this before. I've never been uh, thinking uh, at this stage. I've never looked at, I've been to this decade and now looking to those years ahead. And so it, I don't know exactly how to do it. Uh, what does it look like to get old well? 
How do you prepare yourself? Not just financially, that's how people tend to think, but how do you prepare yourself uh, emotionally? How do, you pre- how do you prepare yourself physically? How do you prepare yourself spiritually? What does that look like? How do you go about doing that? Well, one of the things that is a great encouragement to me is to realize I'm not the first person that turned 55. Uh, there's lots of people who turned 55. Uh, we have many of them here in the congregation. And it's wonderful to be able to uh, study how they go about it. And they seem to be living uh, joyful, fruitful uh, lives uh, in lots of different contexts and lots of different uh, abilities and disabilities, but, but yet living uh, gladly, boldly, fruitfully for the Lord. And so I want to go to school on those people. I want to learn how did, how, did that, how did they get there? How did that work for them? What, did, what are the, the lessons that they applied? Well, I say all that to say that when it comes to the Christian life, all of us, in a sense, can honestly say, we've never done this before. This, is, this pilgrimage, every turn, has a new challenge that we've, we maybe just haven't faced before, or the, the length and the, the weariness that we feel in the challenges that are, are, are old. Um, how do you persevere? How do you get all the way to the end? How do you deal with the heartache that you did not expect? There's, there's aspects of the Christian life where we just recognize we're novices. We don't, we don't know how to do this well. And, and one of the great things that God gives us in His Word is Hebrews chapter 11. Because we have here just testimony of testimony after testimony of people who've walked the road. We're not the first people who lived this Christian life. There have been many, countless thousands and millions who've, who've walked this road ahead of us. And, and in Hebrews chapter 11, they tell us their stories. It'd be a wonderful encouragement to the New Testament church that as they receive this letter for the first time, they're living the Christian life for the very first time, and it's hard. Their families have abandoned them, their Jewish families. Uh, the world scorns and mocks them. How, how do they do this? How, how do people manage this? And the writer here helps them to see, well, you're not the first ones to walk the road. This pilgrim journey has, has, uh, has borne the, the, the feet of many, many countless brothers and sisters who've gone on before you, and we get to learn from them. We get to watch them. We get to, get to uh, gain wisdom and encouragement. And so as we're going through the, the uh, chapter 11 here, there's going to be a tension because the writer does a flyby at 35,000 feet. He's just, he just mentions these names, rattles off uh, Noah and, uh, and, and, and Abel and, and uh, Enoch, and he's going to get to Abraham and, and uh, Moses. He's going to talk about uh, the, just the great saints, Gideon. He's just going to, he's going to pound out names. But every name has a story. We're not going to take the time to flesh out all the stories. But the ones that we do, I really want to encourage you to take to yourself. This is, this is a brother or sister in the past testifying to how to do this. Everything in chapter 11 is leading to chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us continue walking, throwing off everything that hinders Let's, let's persevere in this pilgrim journey. And so the lessons that we have here in chapter 11 are lessons for you. Just normal people. This is not, uh, these are not mythical creatures. These are not superheroes of the spiritual world. 
Uh, they're just, they're, they're simply people like you and I, people who struggle and people who have weaknesses and sins and, and unbelief, and yet by the power of God have walked this road, and the writer's clearly saying, we can do the same. And so let's give our attention then to um, our text this morning. I, I have the sense that uh, when I come to Hebrews chapter 11, it feels like standing in front of a fire hose and you got about a thousand gallons per minute coming straight at your face. And it's not going to be possible for us to just swallow all of it down. But what we're going to try to do is um, touch on what are the key things that the writer wants us to see. And then for you specifically, as we're going through it, constantly be asking yourself, what does this look like in my life? What difference would these things make in my life? How can these things encourage me? How, how should these things challenge me and convict me? So be, be thinking of those things, asking those questions as we go through. This is a chapter, as you know, of living by faith. Uh, the, the phrase by faith shows up 19 times, once in the rest of the book. This is by faith, by faith, by faith. Uh, by faith. And what we see in, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, big picture, is that living by faith happens in the context of three great realities. It, it's, it's formed by three great realities. It's molded by, takes its, its, its shape and form in the presence of three Truths, three realities. The reality of God as he is, as he's revealed himself. So the great reality of God. The reality of this world in its broken condition. And the reality of a life that is yet to come. A world yet to come. And all the way through Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see those three things showing up. Those are the touchstones that give definition to faith. Faith deals seriously with the reality of God. Faith deals honestly with the reality of this world. And faith deals hopefully with the, with the truth that this isn't all there is. There's something yet to come. We saw last time we were in the chapter, uh, we were looking at chapter, uh, verse 6, how faith orients us to the truth about God, uh, that he is as he's revealed himself and that he re he's the rewarder. So it correctly orients us to God in his nature and the nature of our relationship to him. We don't come to God to give primarily, we come to receive. God is the rewarder. Um, but we're going to see that faith also orients us to this world, the reality of it, and to the world to come. And, um, and the promise, the confidence, the hope that we have in that world. Well, let's, let's uh, jump in. My first, uh, don't hold me to this outline. I wrestled with it. But, but I think it, it might help if it doesn't just make your own notes or just sit back and pay attention. What faith does is the first thing I'm going to be looking at. What faith does, uh, what faith uh, gains is, is going to be my second point, And what faith desires will be our third point. What faith does. So... The writer, moving on, uh, brings us to the story of Noah and, and Abraham as well. Men who, uh, by faith, obeyed. What faith does is faith takes God seriously, takes his word seriously, and lets that reality impact what we do. So notice first Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. 
Uh, we read the text, Genesis chapter 6. God came to Noah and said, Noah, I'm, um, God saw the wickedness in the world, that, that all the thoughts of men's heart was continually evil all the time only, that the, the earth was full of wickedness and vileness and violence, and God was sick of it. He's a holy God. It was his world, and so he brought judgment. He promised Noah, I'm going to wipe out everything, all flesh that lives on the earth. I'm going to bring a great flood. Promises a day of judgment. Well, what does Noah do? Well, Noah believes God. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark. Now, Noah wasn't the only one who heard about this coming judgment. Noah, uh, we're told, was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was, a, was, a, was someone who called out to his friends and neighbors and family, uh, maybe extended family, and said, friends, uh, this is what God has said, that the earth is full of wickedness, and he's going to bring a flood. He's going to bring judgment. But they thought it was silliness, foolishness. The world's always been this way. Life is fine. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing well. But Noah, you see, the reality of God penetrates the fog and the blindness of sin. And, and with reverent fear, fear of whom? Fear of God. He constructed an ark. Uh, the concept of the fear of God is it's one of the most challenging concepts to, to really uh, bring home to it, because of our language and our culture specifically. It's easier to understand and grasp this if you live in a culture, in an honor culture. An honor culture is a culture where there are things that are revered and respected. Maybe ancestors, maybe, maybe a, a certain possessions or your family, whatever it might be. There's things that you just don't mess with. We don't have an honor culture. Uh, all we honor is our own desires in that sense, but there's the, the idea of something sacred and holy and sacrosanct, something that you do not mess with, it's hard for people to grasp that. And, and so that's one aspect of reverent fear of God. It's just taking God seriously so that who he is and what he says settles with a weight. But it's not a fear in the sense of uh, being terrified. Michael Rees pointed this out at the graduation service for a Puritan <clears throat> a few weeks ago. And he points out, he just made the, the distinction that the, when people are terrified of God, that's a fear of unbelief in a sense. You, that's, the, that's the fear of being punished, of being exposed, being destroyed by God. But God's children, the fear of the Lord for God's children is a fear of delight in the awesomeness of God, a fear of um, just wonderful conviction that God is God and he's glorious and he's mighty. He, you don't mess with him. He's God, but he's good. And that reverent fear then takes him seriously at his word as the glorious, good, faithful uh, God that he is. And so, you see, it's, it's that kind of when the reality of God settled into Noah's life in this way, that's what kept him persevering in all the years when he's doing this thing that everyone would think he's out of his mind. Noah, what are you doing? What is that monstrosity in the backyard? It's an ark. 
An ark. Yes, it's an ark. The Lord told me to build it, but it's huge. How are you going to move this thing? There's not water for hundreds of miles around. You couldn't float that thing. I mean, you're going to have to get to the, to the Mediterranean. People would, you know they're laughing. You know they're mocking. And it's hard work. He's got to leave other things go. Noah can't be building his own kingdom when he's, when he's called to spend all these years building this ark. So, so what's going to keep him persevering? Well, the only thing that's going to keep him persevering is a, is a conviction of, of God. God said that he's going to bring judgment on this world. God said there's going to be a flood. And God's word never falls to the ground. And you see, it's God's word that changed Noah's life. It changed Noah's relationship to this world. When Noah looked around at the world that was, it was he realized it's a passing world. Its days are numbered. You know that Noah is not about uh, building an empire for himself uh, because it's, it's not going to last. It's all coming under the judgment of God. So it changes his relationship with this world. It gives him a hunger for the coming world. He doesn't know exactly what it's going to look like. The Lord gives him very, very few, if any, definition to what the new world is going to look like. But all he knows is that God has promised to judge this world. God has promised to provide a new world. And that God has given, uh, instructed him to build an ark as the means of God bringing him safely through the waters of judgment and to the shores of that new creation. And that's all he needs to know. And so he sets to work. And his faith, you see, then goes to work. His faith goes to work. James says, show me, a man, show me a man who just believes. Let me show you uh, what faith does. Let me show you faith in action. And there was wonderful fruit. He built an ark for the saving of his family. I love that line. God saved Noah's family, but God used Noah's faith and obedience as a means to that end. And how many of us haven't had the same experience where our parents built an ark of faith and obedience. Not perfect faith or perfect obedience. But they constructed a, a, a place in, in the home where the word of God was opened. Where prayers were offered. Where the gospel was administered. Uh, they, they, they created an ark by bringing us to, to church. And in that place, God carried out his saving work. Noah uh, built an ark for the saving of his family. Noah, notice, condemned the world as he built this ark. That's, that's really interesting language. His life of faith, built on the promise of God, stood in stark contrast to everyone else who's living for this present world with no fear of God, no concern of judgment. Isn't that exactly the world that we live in today? Where people live their life just with no sense of a God who should be feared. No sense of a, of a coming day of judgment. No concern to, glory, uh, to glorify God. Living as if this world really was all that there is. That defines our country. But, but, but you see, the, the people of Noah's day are not going to have any excuse when they stand before God in, in heaven on the, on the day of judgment... Because there was a man who stood among them who testified to them about the reality of God and the reality of judgment and the way to be saved. And so they're left without excuse, and that's really a calling that we have as well, to live in this world 
with a deep consciousness of God as the people of God, to, to, to be just th those people who actually take God at his word, who, who, who think God is a serious thing, a glorious thing, a weighty, magnificent thing. And people who have a conviction about this world that as good as it is as by the grace of God, it is not going to last. That this world also has a destiny, a date set for judgment. When it's going to be purified by fire, whatever that looks like, that's what Peter says is going to happen to this world. And so we, we stand in this world, and you see, with that conviction as Christians, and, and with, a, with, a, with a confidence that, that God has promised a new world, a new creation. And that he's given us an ark in Jesus Christ, and that ark alone is going to be able to safely transport us and our families right through the judgment waters and to the shores of that precious new world. That's how we live out our faith today. That's how we follow Noah. And, and, and the text tells us that Noah, by all this, became an heir of the righteousness that is by faith. God reckons his faith to him as righteousness. And we've talked about that, uh, about that before. But that just means that, that God gives to faith the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives to faith um, that benediction of sonship, daughters and, and sons of the Most High God. Uh, all of this is Noah's testimony to you and to me today. We live, in, we live uh, needing to hear this story. We, we need to apply these, these truths and these lessons. Now, Abraham also teaches us. Uh, verse 8. I'm not going to take a lot of time here. But notice Abraham, by faith, obeyed. By faith, obeyed. That's the Christian life. Now, what did he obey? He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place, and he went out not knowing where he was going. God doesn't give us all the details. He didn't give Abraham all the details. He said, go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham, Abraham by faith, obeyed. Noah, by faith, obeyed. Did what God called him to do. Um, and this idea of unseen shows up again, right? He doesn't know where he's going. All he knows is God said, move. And, and so he does, trusting that there's a land that God had promised and God would lead him there. Some of, some of you this morning are, are walking in the dark just like this. You, you don't know exactly where you are on the road, and you don't know why the Lord has brought you to this turn in the road. But just let Abraham remind you that it's going to be okay. Lean on what God has promised you. And he, and he hasn't, this is where a lot of us get confused because we think that God has at least subliminally promised us a good life or a happy family, or good health, and he hasn't. He hasn't promised any of those things. What he's promised is to rescue us and save us and give us an, an, an eternal joy that, that can't be compared. So lean, lean on what God has promised and be content that he, he knows where he's going. He knows where he's going. Well, Abraham, you see, was, he lived his whole life this way. He lived uh, in the land in tents. That's the point of verse 9. He lived in the land of promise, in, in, as in a foreign land, living in tents. So, so it, it means that uh, he has alien status his whole life. He's, he doesn't belong in the land of Canaan. His, his neighbors know it, and he knows it. He lives in a, in a tent which, which tells us temporary. Uh, the tabernacle was, was a tent because it was temporary. 
It was on the move. It wasn't at home. It wasn't fixed. Tents are like that. Uh, if you um, if you've been camping recently in a tent, one of the, you know that one of the one of the, the one of the real joys of camping in a tent is being able to come back home. <laughs> I think it's why people do it. They love their house after they camp for a week. Tents leak and tear, and they're awful at keeping out the cold and the damp. Now, they're, you know, they're, if you like being exposed to, to to creation, buy a tent. But and that's fun for a while, isn't it? And then it's great to come back home. Tents mean temporary and not fixed and not permanent and not home. And Abraham lived his whole life that way. He wasn't home. And what an encouragement to the New Testament Christians uh, who also are living in tents. They lost their homes. They got uh, confiscated. They were kicked out when they came to Christ. Uh, they were also living in, as foreigners. They don't belong. They don't belong to the Jewish community. They don't belong as Roman. Uh, Rome doesn't want them. They don't belong to this wicked world. They don't, they don't have friends and family in that sense in this wicked world. And they live as citizens of a land unseen. It's a land of promise. It means they don't have it yet. But Paul says, who hopes for what he already has? They don't yet possess it. But that's how they live. And that's how we live, friends. But what does faith secondly gain? Verse 11, look at Sarah. Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. She received power to conceive. Faith gains power. Faith gains abilities, uh, miraculous abilities. Uh, Faith, obviously, by itself has no power at all. So people who are on the TV telling you if you just have faith, right, the miracles happen. Well, faith doesn't have any power. God has all the power. But what faith does is receives what God has and what God has promised specifically. And God had promised Sarah a child. And Sarah believed that promise, even though that, that faith was mixed with unbelief. And so when the angels come and say to, to Abraham, uh, next year this time you're going to have a baby, Sarah's going to have a baby, what does Sarah do? Sarah laughed. And the angel said, why is Sarah laughing? And part of you wants to go, uh, what do you mean? Why wouldn't she laugh? It's ludicrous on the face of it. There are, there are these incredible obstacles to Sarah having a baby. She's been barren her entire life. She has a dead womb. And now she's too old to have children. She has an expired womb. And she has a dead husband in the sense, the text tells us, him as good as dead. Any one of those things would have made a pregnancy highly, highly unlikely. The three of them together are a triumvirate of trouble. It simply isn't going to happen. It's not possible. It's not possible. But by, see, faith, all things are possible because nothing is impossible with God. And so the text tells us uh, from that very womb, from that woman and that almost dead man, came descendants as many as the stars of heaven and grains of sand by the seashore. There's, there's this amazing fruitfulness, incredible fruitfulness. Why? How did this happen? Well, Sarah uh, considered him faithful who had promised. It's such a simple statement, and there is a world of truth and glory in it. Sarah, how did you do this? How did you persevere through all those years of barrenness, barrenness, barrenness? 
Well, it wasn't easy, and she didn't do it perfectly. She, she, she gives her handmaiden to Abraham, says, maybe that's what God has in mind. And then that becomes an absolute fiasco and a mess, the ramifications of which are still felt in our world today. But the text tells us she considered him faithful who had promised. Who promised? God had promised. Is God faithful? Of course God is faithful. His words do not fall to the ground. And what an encouragement again for the New Testament church. What an encouragement to to you and to me and, and me this morning. I mean, there are great obstacles. I'm not sure you're aware of this, but there are incredible obstacles to your eternal salvation. The world, the flesh, and the devil come to mind. Any one of which by themselves would be more than sufficient to overcome your, your little faith if you were left to yourself. And the three of them together, in, right, in one sense we could say, makes your salvation simply, purely impossible. You want another triumvirate or trouble? You got the, uh, the reality of your sin and guilt, which is as real as, as uh, you sitting here this morning, uh, the reality of the holy, righteous wrath of God against sin and a law that is not going to lose a jot or a tittle. You're not going to make an end run around the law of God. So how in the world do you expect to be saved? I mean eternally rescued from the judgment of God and brought into a new heaven and a new earth. Well, it's not possible except by God. You see, we, the gospel comes and says to us, if you believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. That's what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. You, you will be saved. Consider him faithful, friends, who made the promise. Consider him faithful who made the promise. Has God said, I will never leave you or forsake you? Has he promised you that? Then consider him faithful who made the promise. Has God said that he who saves you will save you to the uttermost, that the work that he's begun in you he will carry on to completion? Then, then consider him faithful who made the promise. Has God said that you're going to, though your body will die, that, that you yourself will not die, that your loved ones who have died in the Lord are not dead? But they are in the presence of Jesus Christ. Consider him faithful who made the promise that one day you and your loved ones in Christ are going to rise glorified. We need to consider him faithful who promised and let that settle on you. Let that be, let that be a mantle over you, a banner over your head that God is faithful. And all the riches, you see, that, that I can have in Jesus Christ, I have by faith. That's the point the, drive, the writer's driving home. Faith receives. Faith receives. Faith gains as, it's, as it waits upon the Lord. It always receives what God has promised. But, and we'll wrap with this, notice verse 13. Notice verse 13. I've just said faith receives what God has promised. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. This is where you as a Berean would say, Pastor, I don't, are you sure what you're saying? What did you mean by they received? Well, look at what the verse says. 
having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the, on the earth. So these all died in faith, not having received. Well, you think about, is that really true? I mean, Noah received salvation through the, through the ark and Sarah received her baby, didn't she? Didn't we just read that Sarah received power to conceive? And the Israelites received the land of promise. Abraham didn't, but his descendants did, and the text tells us that they did. So what, is, what does the writer here mean when he says, but they did not receive them, and they, they died in faith not having received them? Well, he must be, you see, referencing something more. You see, because even though Noah received his new world, it still wasn't home. It wasn't home. It wasn't what his soul most deeply longed for. And even though Sarah received her baby, her Isaac, Isaac was a joy, but he wasn't life. He wasn't life. And Israel received their land. We're told they did, but they were still recognized that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They had a land, a good land, flowing with milk and honey, but it wasn't homeland. That's what the text says. It wasn't homeland. It wasn't what they were made for. It wasn't what they most deeply craved. You see, just think of what this tells us. It just tells us that faith wants more than anything we can have in this life, even the blessings that God gives in this life. So Noah got his new, his new world, but it wasn't, it wasn't enough. Uh, Sarah got her baby. It still wasn't enough. Israel got its land, but it wasn't enough. Faith wants more. Faith hungers for the fields of heaven. Look at verse 16. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Faith is hungry, friends. It's not satisfied without God without being in the presence of God, without the, the new heaven and the new earth that God has promised. It refuses to be satisfied with anything less than that. And, and, and the text specifically says that, that God is greatly pleased and honored by that faith, that he is not ashamed then to be called their God. Why? Because he has prepared a city for them. He's prepared for them a city. We have so many good gifts, kindnesses. You have your, your home, and it's, and it's a good home. But you know as much as I do, it's not, it's not, it's not what you're made for. Uh, you've got your family, and it's a, it's, a, it's a great blessing, and sometimes trial. But it's not what you're made for. Uh, you have your job. You have maybe hobbies. You have so many things in your life. But do you just sense that there, there has to be more? It has to be more? Doesn't your faith hunger for more? Doesn't your, faith, doesn't your faith hunger to see Jesus? Doesn't your faith hunger for a land where all the death and mourning and crying and pain and sin is done? Not just because it'll be nice there, but because it'll be God everywhere, God glorified, God known, Jesus face to face there. You see, that's the faith, friends, that, that honors God because that's what God has promised to us. That's why Jesus came to live and die for us, to give us that. And so, you see, the lessons from the saints, is this is a pilgrimage. We're not home yet. And if you know heartache and if you know loss, if you feel like you're walking in the dark, it, this, what that means is that you're not lost. You haven't taken a wrong turn. This is the pilgrimage. God has not forgotten you. And if you have an ache inside of you that nothing seems to be able to satisfy, that's the pilgrimage. We're not satisfied here. It's okay to say that. 
Let's not pretend otherwise. Let's not pretend that, that, that a great marriage is what would really make us happy. Or if, if we had just had a, a successful career, if we just had better relationships, or if we just had children or better children or more grandchildren, whatever it might be, none of that stuff is life. It's all good, praise the Lord. But, but let's just confess together, this is not what we're living for. We're hungry for something more. And we believe that in Jesus Christ, that something more is, is ours. There's a wonderful, in John 6, 28, uh, the, the, the people come and they ask Jesus, what is the work that we must do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus responds, this is the work of God that you believe on and in him whom he has sent. That the, the, the faith that, that, that pleases God and God responds to is a faith that lays hold in of Jesus. Jesus as the ark that will bring us through the water of judgment and into a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus as the promised son. Jesus the Isaac. The true Isaac. The son of laughter. The, Je- the Jesus who came amazingly to please his father and deeply pleased his father by becoming a man of sorrows and bearing our sin. And we lay hold of that Jesus who is able to bring us through death and judgment and into that land. We receive Jesus as the reward that Abram was seeking. He wasn't looking for the land. Ultimately, that wasn't what, what was, was going to satisfy his heart. He was looking for his God. And in Jesus, that is exactly what we receive. And friend, we receive it by faith. We receive it by faith. And then we walk by faith. That's what the road looks like. And so my question to you this, this morning is, if you're hungry for more, praise God. If you're hungry for heaven itself, praise God. God is not ashamed to be called your God. I just want to ask you, as you, as you take this text and, and these truths, how will your life change if, if the reality of God and the, all that he's done for you in Jesus Christ and the reality of this world and its passing under judgment nature, and the reality of a new heaven and a new earth, if those three things get pasted on the walls of your life, what difference is that going to make? How's that going to change how you relate to your family, to your spouse, or your friends? How's it going to relate, a change how you relate to things and stuff? How's it going to affect your prayer life? How's it going to change your desires, your hopes, your dreams? Friends, let's live by faith. Let's let Noah teach us and let's let Abraham speak to us and Sarah instruct us. And let's walk this life of faith until faith is no more and it's all by sight. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, I thank you so much for the glories of the gospel, the glory of God. I thank you, Lord, that you... You've warned us that this world is going to come under judgment. And rightly so. For all the violence and wickedness that is upon it and and all the violence and wickedness in our own hearts. But, oh God, I thank you that you've provided an ark of safety in Jesus Christ. and, And in Jesus Christ, we can be rescued and brought into a new heaven and a new earth. I thank you, Lord, for the testimony of our brothers and sisters who've gone on before us. And, oh, God, I pray that we would, we would lean hard on the truths that they tell us and let those things, Lord, um, mold our lives and shape our days so that we are a people, oh, God, that you are not ashamed to be called our God because we're looking for the city that you've promised. 
And we're leaning upon the Savior that you've given. And we're willing to walk this road that you've called us to with Christ as our, our Savior and friend and with heaven as our eternal home. So Lord, help us to walk by faith that our faith might be pleasing to you and glorify your name in this world. And pray in Jesus' name, amen.